Chapter 6, Part 1 of Sin and Its Consequences by Henry Edward Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6, Temptation, Part 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. The Son of God, who is incarnate sanctity and eternal life, when he came into the world to redeem mankind, placed himself in the most intimate contact possible to his perfections, with sin in the desert, and with death upon the cross. In the temptation in the desert, Jesus tasted of all the bitterness of sin, except only of its guilt. In his death upon the cross, the immortal God tasted death for every man. Now I have taken the temptation of our divine Saviour at the outset of our present thoughts, because in itself it is sufficient proof of what I affirmed some time ago, namely, that to be tempted is not to sin, and that many who are the most tempted are innocent. You will remember I was speaking about the distinctions of sin when I touched upon the subject of temptation. It was necessary to guard what I was saying, lest those who are tempted, and perhaps sorely and habitually, should lose heart and begin to fear lest their temptations are personal sins. Now the example of our divine Lord shows us that one who is sinless may be the subject of temptation. He suffered temptation for our sakes, just as he suffered death for our sakes. He suffered temptation in order, as St. Paul says, that we may have such a high priest, not one who cannot have compassion or be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but one who was tempted in all things like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And again, that he suffered being tempted, that we might know how to succor and give help to those that are tempted. Job chapter 2, verse 18. It was that, out of his own personal experience, the Son of God, incarnate in our humanity, might taste of sin in all its bitterness in all its penalties save only that which to him is impossible the guilt of sin that so he might be a saviour full of sympathy with sinners and now it is necessary to observe the distinction which i have drawn with all possible care and precision though it is true that temptation is not sin nevertheless temptation and sin are very nearly allied they are very like each other and they may be easily mistaken secondly temptations are the occasions of sin and thirdly temptations with great rapidity and with great facility pass into sins for this cause it is necessary with all accuracy to distinguish between them Perhaps someone will say, I can quite understand that the Son of God, being man, 
was capable of being tempted but that gives me little encouragement because every temptation presented to his sinless soul was instantly quenched like as sparks falling upon the face of pure water are immediately extinguished but when temptations come to me the sparks are struck upon the touchwood they fall upon the flax and upon the dry leaves which are ready to kindle there is indeed this difference the temptations of our divine saviour were altogether from without and none of them from within our temptations are indeed in great part from without but a very large part of them and the worst part of them are from within they come up out of our own hearts they are in our own thoughts in our own passions in our own tempers in our faculties in our memory here are the lairs and the haunts of temptation these are the most dangerous and the example of our divine lord does not reach to what we suffer now nothing is more certain than this that all the sorrows which come upon a man in life sickness pain bereavements afflictions all the crosses he may meet with losses disappointments bankruptcy all these things are nothing compared with the bitterness the keenness of temptation a man may say i could bear all these things readily they come from without and they have not that which is the special suffering of temptation the bitterness of sin is not in them they do not come between me and god indeed the more of suffering and sorrow i have in this world the more i am driven to the presence of god they are rods and scourges driving me nearer and nearer to him but my temptations come between me and god they come and cut me off from him they hang like a dark cloud between me and the face of god they make me feel it to be impossible that god can love me impossible that i can be saved impossible that i should not be grieving the holy spirit of god all the day long i am like those who are described in holy scripture who do many things for the best nevertheless after all do not know whether they are the objects of love or hatred now i dare say there is not one of you who does not know and feel what holy scripture calls the wound of his own heart the wound of a man's heart is the great master fault or the besetting sin or the three or four besetting sins such as pride anger irritability of temper jealousy envy slothfulness and many others which i need not specify i desire to meet the objection of such persons and i desire to show and to prove that it is quite possible that a man who suffers all the day long from temptations of this kind may nevertheless in the sight of god be innocent and so far as those temptations go he may be perfectly guiltless i do not say that this is a common case but i say it may be and therefore every one may 
if he will only be faithful to the rules i will hereafter try to lay down take to himself at least in part this consolation number one first of all then temptation is inevitable until we have put off our mortality until corruption is turned into incorruption we shall be assailed by temptation to be tempted is simply to be man to be man is to be tempted in holy scripture in the book of genesis we read these words that god did tempt abraham genesis chapter twenty two verse one but in the epistle of st james we read let no man when he is tempted say that he is tempted by god james chapter one verse thirteen this seems to be a contradiction but it is not because the word tempt is a word of perfectly neutral signification it does not necessarily mean tempt with evil it simply means to try god did try abraham for god puts us on our trial and that in two ways he either by his providence sends us a variety of afflictions or crosses or losses or contradictions by which he tries what our spirit is or secondly he permits that satan should try us as he permitted satan to try and afflict job therefore when it is said that god tempts it means that god tries us but the other signification is an evil one for all the temptations that come from satan are evil in themselves he never tempts any man to good unless some accidental good may be the occasion of evil now it is in this latter sense that i am going to speak that is of our being tried by evil tried by satan god overrules even the temptations of satan for our benefit as i will show i say then that these temptations are inevitable and that for this reason from the time when the dragon and his angels were overcome by michael and his angels in heaven and satan was cast out with his evil angels upon earth from that moment to this there has been warfare round about us remember that satan is an angel created with an intelligence and a will and a power far exceeding that of man there is something satanic in the contempt and the ridicule with which men treat satan i say it is satanic because it is a satanic illusion to make men cease to fear him or cease even to believe in him he is never more completely master of a man than when the man ridicules his existence when as we hear in these days men say there is no devil the man most under the power of the tempter is he who does not believe in the existence of his enemy his enemy is round about him day and night and under his feet satan being of angelic nature has an angelic intelligence greater than that of man pervaded by craft and by subtlety he has also an angelic will mightier than ours 
pervaded by an intensity of malice he has also a power greater than ours which is always exerted out of jealousy against those who are redeemed in the precious blood of jesus christ it was not shed for him and he is laboring therefore day and night without ceasing to destroy those who are the heirs of salvation there are two titles given to satan in holy scripture our lord called him the prince of this world john chapter fourteen verse thirty and st paul calls him the god of this world two corinthians chapter four verse four and therefore we have closely surrounding us like an atmosphere the world of which he is the prince and i may say the sanctuary of which he is the god for what is the world it is the intellectual and moral state of the race of mankind without god pervaded darkened falsified and corrupted by the influence of satan into the likeness of his own malice therefore holy scripture declares that the world is an enemy of god an immutable enemy that the world can never be reconciled with god or god with the world that the world can never be purified that even the waters of baptism only save individuals out of the world and that the world itself will never be saved but will be burned up by fire now this world signifies the tradition of the sin of mankind the world-wide corruption of human nature by the sins of the flesh and the sins of the spirit with all their falsehood impiety and malice against god this hangs in the atmosphere of the world outside christendom it reigns supreme inside christendom it has entered again like as in the time of pestilence the very air of our dwellings after all the care we can bestow is infected even among baptized nations the spirit of the world wafted from without and arising up again under our feet from the corrupt soil of human nature is perpetually renewing itself and we live surrounded by an atmosphere in which all the forms of truth are distorted and where illusions are presented on every side so that men are misled and are turned away from god and from his laws we live in the midst of such a world and that world we renounce in our baptism the world with all its pomps nevertheless it has a perpetual action and influence upon every one of us there is what is called the worldly spirit which enters with the greatest subtlety into the character of even good people and there is what is called the time spirit which means the dominant way of thinking and of acting which prevails in the age in which we live and there are powerful temptations full of danger and in perpetual action upon us then thirdly we carry our temptations about us we have every one of us the three wounds of original sin ignorance in the understanding 
turbulence in the affections so that they become passions instability and weakness in the will the soul is wounded with those three wounds and nevertheless it is in perpetual motion in thought word and deed save only during the time of sleep in our waking hours our nature is in unceasing activity and in perpetual anarchy too except in those who being guided by the spirit of god are under the influence of grace and conform to the truth the thoughts tempers affections passions of the heart are in a state of ceaseless turbulence so that the holy ghost by the prophet describes the heart in these words the wicked are like a raging sea which cannot rest casting up mire and dirt isaiah chapter fifty seven verse twenty as the sea casts up from its depths the soil under the waters so the perpetual activity of the heart is casting up the passions and the sins that lie within it this description applies in its measure to every one of us we are all in this state and therefore the temptations of satan the temptations of the world which are without us and the temptations from our own heart within these three temptations are inevitable we cannot escape them every one of us singly stands between two spirits there is the spirit of god on the one side there is the spirit of satan on the other and the human spirit that is the soul with its intelligence heart and will stands between these two spirits of god and of satan are in perpetual conflict round about us and for us the spirit of satan striving to pervert to delude and to cast us down the spirit of god perpetually guiding strengthening and upholding us the thoughts of satan are infused into us and also the lights of the holy ghost and sometimes we do not know the one from the other we sometimes mistake the false lights of satan for the lights of truth we sometimes fancy that the lights of truth which come are only temptations sometimes we imagine our own human thoughts to be the thoughts and the lights of god and so we deceive ourselves we are in this constant state of temptation which is common to all men number two next the universality of this temptation is absolute and there is no state of man that is not visited by it take for example sinners those that live voluntarily in sin satan tempts them they are the subjects of constant satanic temptation but be sure that they are not the chief subjects of his temptations for this reason they are his servants already they are already doing his will they already share his own mind they already love those evils to which he tempts them satan leaves his own servants to do their work for him they have united themselves with his evil angels when our lord was tempted in the wilderness 
it was but the lifting of the veil and the making visible of that which invisibly is taking place every hour and every moment round about us we wrestle not with flesh and blood as the apostle says but with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places ephesians chapter six verse twelve that is with the whole hierarchy of fallen angels round about us they are mingling among evil and wicked men the evil and the wicked have united themselves to their allegiance and satan leaves them alone they are doing his work the blasphemer is not tempted to blasphemy why should he be he blasphemes already the unbeliever is not tempted to unbelief he has lost his faith the scoffer is no longer tempted to scoffing he scoffs enough already to satisfy even the god of this world so i might go on with every other kind of sin they have become the members of the mystery of impiety just as all faithful children of god are members of christ and the mind and the will and spirit of jesus christ descend into them and being living members of the mystical body of christ they are united to their divine head so the wicked and sinful are pervaded by the mind and the spirit and the will and the malice of satan they are members of satan members of the mystical body of satan and are united to their satanic head and are under his guidance but next if any one of them strives to return to god he becomes the subject of a twofold temptation satan follows up every deserter who leaves his camp and he follows him with an intensity of redoubled malice he multiplies all his temptations those by which he fell before when he tries to rise again and to escape from them satan doubles their power and their effect he never gives him rest if any of you have tried to break off a fault i have no doubt you have found that you have been more tempted to that same fault from the very time you began to master it need i tell you why before you were swimming with the stream but when you tried to break off that fault you were swimming against the stream and you felt the strength of the stream against you that is to say you were going onward before the temptation until you turned from sin then you felt the full force of temptation against you like the stream and the current of a river and that stream and current was doubled by the malice of the tempter he is not only very strong in his temptations but he is very subtle and when men begin to break off sins of one kind he will leave them perfectly quiet on that side and will tempt them on the other to something else which is altogether unlike their former faults as for instance if any man has been tempted to gross sins and has gained the mastery he will find himself tempted to spiritual sins which casting him down will bring him back to where he was before be sure of it 
whoever begins for example to mortify such a sin as excess in food if he gains the mastery will find himself tempted perhaps to some spiritual sin such as anger ill-temper or it may be vainglory at what he has achieved it is all one what does it matter there are seven capital sins of which three may be said to be of the body and four of the soul but they all cast the soul into hell and if a man perishes by spiritual sin he is just as certainly condemned to eternal death as if he perishes by the grossest sins of the flesh satan in his subtlety knows this and follows up every man that has turned away from him and those who turn from him and strive to convert their souls to god are his special objects of temptation even those whom we call servants of god who have really turned away from satan and are confirmed in a life of faith and piety they too have special temptations for instance when satan sees any soul escape out of his hands and no longer under the dominion of the grosser sins of the body he changes himself into the likeness of an angel of light he knows that the grosser forms of temptation will have no more power that they will be disgusting and alarming that they will repel and will drive the soul from him and therefore he changes himself into an angel of light he comes as a messenger of peace and a preacher of justice and a teacher of purity and then he will stimulate and excite the imprudent to strain after perfections of penance and perfections of prayer and mystical reaches of the spiritual life which we read of no doubt in saints but as such are as yet far out of the grasp of those who are beginning to serve god nevertheless these things are sufficient to turn the head and to infuse vainglory and to call men off from the humble practice of daily duty and make them climb and clamber up into higher places where they have not the head to stand and at last they fall through a spiritual intoxication so also those who have turned away from him he tempts to a censorious judgment of others when they have light to know their own faults and their eyes are open to discern sin the use they make of their enlightened eyes is very often to be quick and searching to find the faults of their neighbors and by turning their eyes outwardly which are intended to be turned inwardly they range to and fro finding out and censuring the faults of other people and perpetually committing rash judgments in their hearts and very often sins of detraction with their tongues there is also another temptation even for those that are advancing far in the way of perfection spiritual writers tell us that there is a temptation which they call the storm in the harbor that is as a ship which has passed through a tempestuous sea and has come at last into the haven of rest and is lying calmly over its anchors 
may yet be struck by lightning or by a sudden squall and may founder even in the port of safety so spiritual pride spiritual self-love vainglory at our own imagined perfection may wreck us at last by looking at ourselves in the glass by reading the lives of the saints until we believe we are saints by filling our minds with disproportionate and strained imaginations and then applying them to ourselves by dreaming that we are that which we can describe and that there is an aureola a crown of light hanging over our heads we may finally cast ourselves down from god these imaginings and delusions which come from a profound self-love and as profound a want of self-knowledge will turn the heads and the consciences even of those who have escaped from grosser sins and make them like simon the pharisee who being blind to his own faults and censorious of the faults of others was in comparison with poor mary magdalene a sinner before the eyes of our lord or like the pharisee in the temple who after thanking god he was not like other men went down to his house not justified as the poor publican was therefore we see that temptations are inevitable and universal and whether you are only penitents or on the way to be saints do not expect to be exempt from them remember then that there is nothing come upon you as the apostle says but that which is common to man and god will make also an issue or a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it no temptation is a perfect circle if indeed the circle of temptation were complete there would be no way out of it god never permits any temptation to be a perfect ring there is always an outlet always a break out of which the soul with safety may escape number three there is still another reason why temptation is not sin however much you may be tempted whether it be to deadly sins or to lighter it matters not those temptations will never be imputed to you as sins unless you willingly consent to them this is the way of escape which is always open the sure and certain issue by which every soul may pass even out of a furnace heated sevenfold you remember some time ago we laid down as the essential condition of sin that it is an evil act contrary to the will of god with knowledge of the intellect with the consent of the will and with the consciousness of what we are doing now that one rule will precisely distinguish between sins and temptations st paul in the seventh chapter of the epistle to the romans says the good i would i do not the evil that i would not that i do i consent to the law of god in the inward man but i find another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members 
so if i do the evil that i would not it is no more i but sin that dwelleth in me therefore he distinguishes between the indwelling sin of his nature and himself he says it is no more i why is it no more himself because his will had no part nor lot in that inward sinfulness the actions that we do may be distinguished therefore into those that are deliberate and those that are not deliberate or as it is called indeliberate this distinction will precisely draw the line a deliberate action of sin is what i have described with knowledge consent and consciousness an indeliberate action is that in which these elements are wanting but you will say how is that possible it is most possible when we are out in the sun we feel the warmth by no act of our own if the wind blows cold we feel chilled by no act of our own will all round about us and all the day long the images of the world fill the eye and yet we can only look at one thing at a time though we see a thousand we can only look at one and that one we look at by the act of our will but all the rest simply fall upon our passive sight we go through the streets we hear a multitude of words to which we do not listen we know their meaning as they fall upon our passive ear now all these are what i may call indeliberate acts there is no action of the will in them and we can no more hinder ourselves from seeing and hearing than from being hot or cold the thoughts that are in us are set in motion and the thoughts weave their associations the memory revives and gives up the images of the past and the imagination adds to them and this process goes on at all hours for in truth our minds are never at rest i even in sleep we dream which is a reason to believe that though the body is perfectly suspended in its conscious action the mind is never suspended now a great deal of this mental action may indeed become sin if we consent to it but it is not sin if we do not consent to it and that for the following reason the will as i have already said before is the rational appetite of the soul it is the desire we have in us guided by reason choosing and determining what we shall pursue but round about the will there is first of all a circle of affections which as god created them were all pure round about the affections are the passions which as sin has wounded them are all of them somewhat in disorder and round about the passions are the senses sight and hearing taste and touch these are the inlets through which sin gains entrance the prophet says death climbs up by the windows jeremiah chapter nine verse twenty one which spiritual writers interpret of sin finding its entrance through the senses 
through the open eyes, the open ears, which are like the windows of the soul standing wide. Satan has no power at all to enter into the soul against our will. The Holy Ghost can enter into the soul because he is the creator of the soul, and the uncreated spirit of God pervades all creatures. He is the searcher of the heart because he pervades the whole heart. He knows it all because he is present in all. But Satan cannot enter the heart as the Holy Ghost. All that he can do is to stand without, watching at the windows and casting in the fiery darts. These fiery darts are the temptations which enter through the senses, fall upon the passions, and kindling them, disorder the affections, and through them affect the will. But if the will does not consent, the presence of any amount of temptation may be mere suffering, and however intense, it will not be sin. So that the way to distinguish between what is temptation and what is sin is to ask yourselves, do you welcome it? Do you open the door? Do you throw open the window? Do you invite it to come in and dwell? Or do you say, The Lord rebuke thee, get thee behind me, Satan? How do you receive these temptations? When the fiery darts are cast in by the window, do you trample them out or leave them to kindle, till by the eye or the ear the memory and the imagination are set on fire? You feel as if a touch had moved you. As, for example, what is a fit of anger but a sudden touch of fire, which comes before we have a moment to deliberate? An offensive answer, or some insolent gesture, or something done in a way to provoke the natural passion of wrath, will immediately elicit our anger. It is in our nature. We cannot help it. As on striking a flint you strike a spark, so on striking human nature, anger immediately responds. And that first emotion of anger is not sinful. It is a sin if I deliberately welcome it and say, Oh, this is come just in time. This is just what I wanted. I have a will to be angry. If you heap on fuel by thinking of the offense that has been committed and stir the fire to make it burn more fiercely, then indeed you make it your own. I might give other examples, but you can find them for yourselves, because every one of the seven capital sins may be taken in like manner. I have given the example of one only to save time, and also because it is better that you make them for yourselves. Another certain test, whether it is temptation or sin, is this. Does the presence of the temptation give you pleasure or pain? Do you feel rather gratified by being stirred up to a sense of resentment, or does it give you a sensible pain that you have lost your calmness? If you have a sensible pleasure in it, then most assuredly you have been consenting. If it gives you pain, then as certainly it is contrary to your will. 
you know it to be contrary to the law of god to the example of jesus christ you feel it to be contrary to his meekness his charity his love his compassion and his generosity and you feel inwardly grieved and pained with yourself that you are so unlike him you know it to be contrary i will say to the holiness of god and the purity of your own soul and therefore you hate the temptation when it comes you strive against it you reject it you pray god to rebuke the presence of the tempter and bruise him under your feet then you may be well satisfied that all this is a temptation and not a sin i will not say that there may not be some adhesion of your will some internal contact as it were which for the moment puts you in danger but the example of the first adam who when he was tempted was sinless and of the second who was god are proofs to us that fiery temptations which we hate may come upon innocent persons end of chapter six part one